Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you today. We got uh, Megan here, who is a six-degree Dan, six Dan? I have two, two six-degree black belts, yes. And two other black belts, too. Yeah. No big deal. Just a couple. Just whatever. a couple. Whatevs, right? <laughs> and uh, also the uh, owner of a club down in Calgary. I've just, the name just described. Five Elements Martial Arts. Right. Five Elements. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I had a little note here on my phone and I was like, had a re I read it before we started talking and then it just. You have a personal resource right here. I know the whole bio. Okay. Well, let, right. tell me a little Good bit about yourself point. by all means. <laughs> tell us who you are, where you come from, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well. Megan Cotterell. I own Five Elements Martial Arts in Calgary. Um, I have a couple black belts, a couple six degrees. Um, what are they? Saying, oh, okay. So, yeah, I have a six degree black belt in Shotokan Karate. I have a six degree black belt in kickboxing. Um, I have a second degree black belt in Olympic Taekwondo. And I have a, a black preciate or black belt in uh, Muay Thai as well and a red sash in Kung Fu. So I've been a martial. You go. It's crazy. Yeah. You're okay. you're actually an overachiever. Um, yes, yeah, probably why I feel like burnt out and fried, and I have a really good hairstylist. So she can Congratulations. Cover yeah. <laughs> it comes with all the gray. All the gray. You know what though? There is one thing that uh I didn't hear in there. That was BJJ. Um, I've done BJJ on and off. Um Probably we can end the podcast now. Yeah, yeah, shut her down right now. That's it. All of the <laughs> yeah, all of those uh, other black belts. Oh, you don't yeah. do BJJ? <laughs> I, well, I, I have on and off, but BJJ has been um, the hardest martial art for me um, due to some of my background and some of the things that I had to overcome. So um, there was some um, abuse and assaults uh, in my life growing up and into adulthood, and so. BJJ, I mean, getting pinned down by giant dudes and choked out and things like that can bring back some PTSD. And so I'll go for a while in BJJ and then I'll kind of hit a wall and then I'll have to take a break and restart again. And injuries have caused that too. Um, and yeah, I think it's just like, because I'm so busy teaching and leading and doing other martial arts as well that I kind of always put BJJ on the back burner, but it's such a fantastic martial art. It's so good for self-defense. Um, I'd recommend it to everybody and anybody it's just for me it's one of those things that always gets put on the back burner mm -hmm. um but i'd like to go back to it probably like as soon as national championships are over it'd be nice to get back in and and start to take some more of those classes again i got a question for you i know chance burles is jones in to put up the subscribe button but it's going to wait it for a second because uh people always ask me sean what are the two martial arts that you recommend or three martial arts that you recommend or one martial art that you recommend for self-defense my two, my two top two are Muay Thai and BJJ. Combine those two, you'll be all right. Uh, do you have a, I mean, you must get asked it all the time. What is your recommendation? For self-defense, it's exactly the same. Oh. Okay. Uh, self-defense is exactly the same. But then also, like, for me too, like, I've created a particular self-defense program, especially for women. Um, and I teach sexually trafficked girls. Um, I teach at-risk youth. I teach a lot of LGBTQ. Um so there's like some specific groups that I do some specific self-defense with um, based on Makes what sense. I've experienced in my life and what they're going through. And it's, and it is definitely from a different perspective. Like I'm not teaching anyone double leg takedowns as a self-defense technique and BJJ, but you know, you do teach 
how to get out of chokes and wrist grabs and things like that, how to, you know, block and protect if it comes to anyone striking you. A lot of like situational awareness stuff, but I think yeah, that Muay Thai and, and BJJ are probably the best ones just as a straight up martial arts for self-defense. Right, right. Yeah, those are pretty fantastic. Um, great chance. Got comments right away. Uh, Tanya says, it, it's so hard, so important to work with trauma-informed partners and instructors, 100%. Uh, and then she goes on with, it has been healing for me to be in a vulnerable position, but know that my training partner has my safety in mind. I think that is the key point there. That is, is the key point. And I've rolled with Tanya. Um, you know, she's down, uh, well, she could be anywhere right now. Sometimes she's, she's in Austin, Montreal Texas. Right Sometimes she's in Montreal. I mean, she's all over the place. Mm -hmm. But uh, when she does come out to Rosalind, uh, she's a great partner to roll with. And she's talking about you know, rolling with a partner who is conscientious or considerate of her needs. She's the epitome of that. I mean, she's uh, a, a perfect example of the kind of partner that you would want. So, you know, it's reciprocal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, finding a good jiu-jitsu partner specifically is a big deal. Um, I've gotten injured a lot by a lot of new white belts and, and people quite a bit bigger than me. Um, I like to go slow. I like to be technical. I want to be able to trust um, my rolling partners and the people I'm going with. But there have been a lot of times where, yeah, like my wrist has gotten snapped or I've, you know, been choked out pretty hard or I've gotten some injuries for that. And I think in any martial arts, though, you just need really humble, kind, respectful, compassionate people. I mean, that isn't always the case. But yeah, if you if you have a lot of trust in your partners, you can go really far. Yeah. That's true. My my partner, my favorite partner, my main partner is my son, uh, my oldest son, Evan. And uh, he's been on the BJJ mats with me for eight years. And uh, the reason he's such a great partner is because I created him into being a great partner. So the idea being that if you go to BJJ and you've been going for a while, your job is not only to seek safe partners, your job is to create safe partners. Yep. Sorry, uh, Megan, uh, do you have a belt in BJJ or do you, no, you're in, no, you're in no stripe white? It. Yeah. It's like okay. the forever white belts. And I'm like, honestly, I'm not good at BJJ at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it makes, it makes sense that you're probably getting hurt or probably frustrated with it. If you're, if you're brand new to the game, because it's a really frustrating game, particularly mm -hmm. for someone who thinks they're an ass kicker and you are, I mean, but you just ain't an ass kicker in BJJ. So, you know, it's frustrating to show. I Listen, I, I've been doing martial arts now for over 40 years. And before I went to my first session on the mats, like I've done a lot of scrapping. I, it's not that I'm a weak sauce, but when I got on the mats, I spent 15 minutes of getting my world turned inside out. And that's an okay. uncomfortable thing for me. But mm -hmm. guess what? Life is uncomfortable. And so I got with the program and uh, never stopped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it, jujitsu is a whole different world, especially for a stand-up fighter. It's a whole different world. It's one of the one of the hardest things for yeah. me was uh, throughout all of my training with uh, the combat engineers. Anytime you're dealing with explosives, everything you want is standoff, right? You try and make more space so that you can uh, manage it better. I just threw my <laughs> threw my whole focus off there. Um, and I entered into BJJ and uh, my first day I got tied in knots by a 16 year old girl. And I'm like, I'm not a little dude, but uh, it showed me instantaneously. And one of the hardest mindset pieces to break was to get closer. 
like to to really attach with somebody. It's a challenging, challenging sport. And it's very key that you have good partners and to to be a good partner. You know what you can do? Like the show, subscribe, Bam. <laughs> the notification bell. How time. The transition. How was that? That was pretty good. In and out. <laughs> we have um we have a few things on the docket in my head of what we were gonna go over. Satch. First off, morning satch. Um Tanya's got a question right off the bat. So let's just dive into this. Uh, in what ways do you endeavor to be the instructor leader uh, younger you always needed? There's a great question for you. What do you I got, love Megan? that question. That's like literally how I teach every day. Like, that like when I walk into my studio, I literally want to be the instructor that I wish I would have had when I was growing up. Um, I didn't always have the best instructors. Um, I went coachless for an extremely long time. Um, I had to travel all over in order to get you know, significant coaching, um, improve my game, be able to compete, all that kind of stuff. Um, I try to teach from a more positive aspect. Like I'll give just a really obvious example is boxing, Muay Thai, whatever you're doing, you'll have an instructor that's like, why are you dropping your hands? Stop dropping your hands. Well, that's the only thing that your brain is going to think of. It's not going to think about anything positive. So when I teach, I'm like, keep your hands in front of your nose, squish your cheeks, like, you know, make sure you can see right in front of your, your thumb. Like just a more positive and proactive approach to teaching, I think I would have really done well with. I think having more compassion and patience uh, when I was growing up would have been great. So I try to lead with a lot more compassion and patience. Plus, these are a lot of the times like they're kids. They want to have fun. They want to play. I mean, they're going to learn and absorb so much more if they're enjoying what they're doing and they're not stressed out and they're not anxious and they're playing. So there's a lot of times I'll put on, well, today it was 90s dance. Last night it was 90s dance. And, you know, I'm kind of singing Mr. Vane and we're punching and jab crossing and roundhouse kicking and doing all that kind of stuff. So I think just like a different and more playful, positive, proactive mindset is what I wish I would have had. And that's kind of how I um, approach teaching now that I'm in this kind of position. I like it. I like it a lot. Sean, you got any thoughts on? I do. do. I'm, I'm kind of uh, both sides of the fences. I think that uh, as an instruct me, not oh. anyone else. Me as an instructor, I like to be encouraging and I like to put the herd on. And so if I'm going to create an environment where it's all uh, unicorns and rainbows and everyone's happy, happy, joy, joy, I watched a video clip. This just popped into my head. Uh, it was, it's from a, like some sort of Taekwondo move and, uh, there's two girls and they've, they've got all their gear on and they're kind of like, you know, tippity tapping and then they connect and the one girl takes her. Uh, her foot and flicks it up, brings it over her head and touches her heel to the top of the other partner's head. Like, I mean, just briefly, like a, a butterfly wing. tail. And it's like, that's a death blow. Stop. And uh, point to you, scorpion kick. It was called a scorpion kick. And I was like, really? The only thing that that's hurting is my sense of common sense. Because <laughs> it's the most ridiculous move I've ever seen in the entire martial arts world. And yet it's giving points and everyone's celebrating it. And it's like, rah, rah, sis, boom, boss, shoot off the fireworks. To me, it's like the most impractical thing I've ever seen as a martial arts move. And yet it's, where does it stop? Where does the encouragement end? What's next? You know, jump up in the air and double scorpion kick and get points. <laughs> and now we've got a system that's being evolved into fantasy. I mean. Well, Olympic Taekwondo is fantasy. It sure is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I didn't want to say it, but it is. It's just sport and it's just points and like it's not self-defense and that's okay. Um, it is okay as long yeah. as people understand 
that it's okay as a fantasy sport? Mm. Well, I think it's all about martial artists educating um, their community and, and, and even like just regular humans, like it's all about education. And so I think that there is like a lot of places for fun martial art and sport martial art and, um, you know, good physical literacy type of martial arts. I think that just getting kids into something that they enjoy and movement and some meditation and some self-awareness and some self-discipline is really good. It's just knowing what martial art is going to be for self-defense and knowing what martial art is going to be for sport or rec or, you know, some sort of like physical movement, really. And I think there's places for everything, to be honest. There is. There there really is. And and I'll be careful now to categorically state that martial arts are awesome. Any of them. <laughs> even they if it's if, even if your martial art is called lawn bowling <laughs> with a scorpion kick. Scorpion kick on martial me. arts are good, without a doubt. The only time they're they can be not great is when someone is led to believe that the scorpion kick is going to take care of everything, or the 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 fun sport, the the fantasy sport we'll call it, which is fun, and and I would never steer anyone away from having fun. That that they understand when they're in that that it's clear to them that what they're engaging in is a fantasy sport, which is cool. I, I'm not set against fantasy sports. Uh, there's lots of them out there, but you know, darts is not applicable to street fighting or, or in a dark alley or whatever, nor is Frisbee golf. And so if someone is looking to get into martial arts and they're looking for fun, there's lots of fun things out there. If someone's looking to get into self-defense there's lots of self-defense in there my only point is i think people need to be clear on what it is that they want what they're seeking and then once wherever they get to wherever they're going it's that club's job or that organization's job or that instructor's job to say okay now that you're in through the front door are are you aware of why you're here why are you here let's mm -hmm. talk about what you're going to learn while you're here or what is the extent of what I can provide you here. Well, my studio is seven different disciplines and we yeah. have different classes ranging for different things. So we have everything from people that just want to come get in shape, make a new friend, um, learn social skills, have some self-regulation. We have, you know, a ton of spectrum individuals that are learning to like have sensory regulation. They're learning to be mindful. They're learning proper breath work. And then I have students that like want to compete and they want to compete on the sports side, which teaches them like great partner work, great community, sense of vulnerability, overcoming challenges, like all those great things. And then we have people that come in and do self-defense. And so when people do come into my club, I am like, what are you looking for? Is it just really perfect? Yeah. Is it making a new friend? Is it trying a new sport? Is it just getting in shape? Is it something to do that's kind of different and unique? Is it getting a black belt, like and a black belt in a particular art? Like what works for you? It's got to kind of be a la carte, but you also have to have martial artists that are educated. I think growing up, um, when I started doing Goju Ryu Karate, my instructor said, well, this is the only and the best martial art that you can do. And so I was pretty brainwashed when I was little to think that like, I'm the karate kid and this will solve all my problems. And I know all the things, but we did Kumite and never actually hit each other. So mm. I'd have nightmares about getting into a fight and not knowing how to get hit and not knowing how to react 
to what was going on. And if I had to defend myself, I'd never hit anyone. So that led to my wanting to expand my education and wanting to do different martial arts and wanting to get different black belts in different martial arts and learn from different coaches and learning where it was applicable and all those kind of things. Like it just made me want to grow as a martial artist mm -hmm. um, instead of being narrow-minded and just believing the one coach. And that. that's a, that's an important point that you just made. And that's, I'm not, a, I'm not moving into a defensive posture right now or doing a fighting <laughs> withdrawal. That's not how I work. Uh, but I, I will say that it's important to, to tease out the, the detail in that so that it's really evident to everyone is it doesn't matter why you get into martial arts, uh, whether you you're tired of the bully beating you up or you're whatever you are the bully. It doesn't matter what the story is. Just get into anything and then you'll figure out the rest with a good instructor who will either shape your path forward or redirect you to something else or introduce you to someone who can sit down with you and have a conversation where you're enlightened in respect to how you want to enjoy your martial arts journey. And quite frankly, like when I started my martial arts journey back in uh, the late 70s, um, that I didn't know what I was going to become. Who, who knows what they're going to become? Uh, and so if you just engage in it and then let other professionals or other more experienced martial arts practitioners help shape you to some degree, you've, you've always got the reins. You as the person always are in control of the direction that you can be guided by uh, good people. And, and I think that's one of the great things about martial arts. Sometimes it's about self-defense. Sometimes it's about movement. Sometimes it's about uh, connectivity and it's all of these different things. But for me, martial arts also adds the intellectual or, or thoughtfulness uh, piece. And that is just sitting down uh, or leaning against a wall or uh, hanging out with people who are kind of like-minded, but broad enough mindsets that you can really have some amazing conversations. Yeah. yeah. There's also uh, another little point in there that I, I wanted to kind of allude to is the fact that a lot of times what you think you're going to get out of martial arts is not what you actually get out of martial arts. Right? Like you usually, once you get into it, you're going to learn stuff that you did not expect you were going to learn. You're going to learn more about yourself. You're going to learn more about other people. You're going to learn more about your capabilities. Like I know when uh, back in the day when everybody was getting into martial arts when I was younger, it was, I want to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. I want to be Bruce Lee, right? I want to be these people. But once you actually start, you realize that <clears throat> first off, you can't, right? You can't be those people because you're not them. So you have to become your own martial artist and you got to become your own person. You got to be become your own dude. Like <laughs> your splits between two chairs. Come on. And like, that is pretty awesome. Moves, come on. Pleated pants. Not everyone can <laughs> rock those, right? <laughs> I want to be Sonya Blade from Mortal Kombat. Oh, right. Have, like that's a lot of jujitsu and the strong and the strong leg muscles being able to choke someone out mm -hmm. with a time very important <laughs> my favorite, by the way um Legit. and i wanted to be like um like i wanted to be the karate kid and then when hillary swank was like when she did the updated version of it kind of mm -hmm. like halfway in between our new version and what was going on like i totally wanted to be her but yeah it was it taught me so much about life it's still teaching me about life it's my favorite thing other than my goodness you know, I will say this, that uh, just not not to push back on either of you in respect to your precise words, but I, I just I have to reframe it for myself. 
So uh, in the 70s, when I was growing up, it was uh, Bruce Lee, of course. And so I didn't want to be Bruce Lee. He inspired me to be me in a form of Bruce Lee. So he was the, we'll call him the lighthouse, for lack of a better term, the, the beacon of light, whatever, that I could see and understand that he is now, it's capable for any human to do what he's doing. And so, yes, Chance, I know she's gone. Yeah. And okay. so, <laughs> I figured you did. You've got that. Well, I would just, yeah. anyway, carry on. You're saying. Check. So, uh, you know, the, the idea being that they're a martial artist who is like Jean-Claude Van Damme. I, I mean, I used to stretch between two chairs because of him, but I didn't want to be him. And I, and I did it. I mean, it's, it's, if I put my mind to something, I can usually get it done with enough effort. And so I put a lot of effort into things when I was young. And so it wasn't because I wanted to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. He inspired me to head in that direction and be me, whatever I am. And I didn't know at the time, but I knew that if other humans could do freaky stuff and amazing stuff and inspiring stuff, then bring it. So can I, I've just got to figure it out. And uh, so Bruce Lee, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Sonya Blade and all of this stuff, I didn't want to be them. I just knew that it could be done. Well, it's kind of cool. See, I was just learning who I who I was. I think I have martial arts has like shaped me into who I am, but I really did had no idea who I was. And so I was scared a lot. I had a lot of anxiety and sometimes pretending that I had an alter ego, like one of them helped me to kind of persevere a little bit better. So um, and even right now, like there's times when I have an alter ego because I'm super freaked out. And when I fought, I totally had an alter ego. Um and now that I'm getting older and more comfortable with who I am and expressing myself in different ways and being so different, especially like in the industry that I am being me in this industry, um, I'm learning that what I feel and what I want and stuff is completely okay. And it's completely okay to be Megan. But for the longest time, I did want to be like other people because I did admire them. They did inspire me so much, but I really had no idea who I was as a person or individual as well. And Sometimes, you know, pretending to be a superhero for a little bit got me to the next step each time. Mm, I've never applied that as a strategy. Um, in fact, I, I hear people talk about it and I think it's a cool strategy. I mean, listen, I don't have anything figured out. I probably should have thought I was a superhero when I was a kid. <laughs> Life might have been easier. I don't know. Um, so I'm not throwing the strategy under the bus. I'm just saying that I've never used that as a strategy. I've, I've just been me, don't, doing my best, bumbling forward. Uh, getting some small wins along the way. But man, maybe, you know, the idea that an alter ego, which I've never had, I, maybe I should have tried it. I, I could have been twice as awesome. I, I need to be twice as awesome. So it's kind of a cool strategy. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. Do it for me. I just seemed to do it for me, especially on those days that I wanted to quit. Like, the days that my anxiety was totally getting the best of me or like my mental health was just completely in the trash or, you know, like I was absolutely terrified. Like there hasn't been, I think, a fight my whole life competitively, whether it was local or internationally that I didn't throw up before. Mm -hmm. And I so know lots of guys like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I did it anyway. I jumped in the ring. I did what I needed to do. Sometimes I lost. Sometimes I won. Most of the time I wanted to quit. And then I'm like, but I can't, like I've made it this far. And so changing my mindset into what I think that that person would want to see or feel or do helped me to, to figure that out. And now I'm realizing that it's just like a fun part of me. So what's your alter ego now? Like, do you have one or like, uh, 
do you, are, are you some sort of weird alter ego right now? Oh, right now I'm myself. That's okay, why cool. I'm doing things like Starbucks and, uh, and chilling out. Yeah. So right, right, right now I'm myself. Nice. Uh, for, yeah, phew, phew. Um, but I think of growing up, right? Like you don't really know who you are. And for me too, like I grew up in a very different way where um, people pleasing and making sure that I was what everyone wanted me to be um, made conflict um, in my home a lot less uh, severe. So I learned to always create what I thought people wanted me to be or what I thought they want me to project or how I needed to make them feel comfortable. So there was always this battle between how I thought I would get acceptance and less conflict and even love and all of that in my life. And then the true authenticity of who I was. So the alter ego for what I thought just kept me safe, accepted, made people feel comfortable. I felt like I would just like be able to navigate life far better. And now I just kind of like, it is what it is. I'm old now. It is what it is. If you don't like me. You ain't that old. <laughs> yeah, the people pleasing in me is exhausted. So, <laughs> so what? So, so how old were you when you started um, either figuring that out as a strategy or adopting that as your kind of uh, uh, modus operandi? Um, as little as I could remember, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was as little as I could remember. Um, like I was the oldest of four. Um, like I raised my siblings quite a bit. There was lots of things that happened um, at home and in life where I was like, if I can just adapt to like what people wanted then I can make it through another day. I'll be safe. Um, I'll have it figured out. I'll be accepted. I'll be loved. I'll be respected maybe. Um, and that took me a really long time to realize like how badly I'd self-abandoned, but I didn't know at the time because it, it was what kept me safe. So I had yeah. no idea, but it was as little as I could remember, like three, four, five years old. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It was a little. That makes a lot of sense. I think I did very, something very similar because it, it works, right? You put the mask on. Yeah. And it works. You're like, okay, cool. And then you take it off and put a different one on. And then you put a different one on. Yeah, I don't I don't do that. I, when I put a mask on, it's because I don't want anyone to get a read on me. Like, of mm -hmm. course, right now, I, I don't have my game face on. I'm, I'm giving you all the reads. But the moment that I don't want anyone to get any reads, you'll get nothing at all. Zero. You won't be able to tell what I got going on. So um, that to me is the mask. I don't flippity flop masks as if I've got like multiple personalities or whatever the case is. Uh, I'm, I'm me. And the only time that I'm not me is when I put my game face on and you don't know what I've got going on. That's, that's my mask. <laughs> you, 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 I think the, uh, the, the trick is at least for me dealing with you is you usually have so much going on. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> just yeah. the well, neither do I. So welcome to the jungle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, I mean, being young when you don't know who you are, um, and you're just trying to find a spot to fit in the real challenge i like I, I don't have so much of an issue with masks because i think there's gonna be times where you know you need a mask you need to okay well now i'm this right you put on a different hat whatever now i'm this and you got to kind of work through it um but the the key is to not start believing that you are that right mask. and that is uh that is a challenge because when you wear it for a really long time then it starts you start to try it like, well, I am that person, but it, there's all a of a sudden you're a badass, right? Exactly. Right about the time that you're staring at the ceiling with the Tweety birds <laughs> rolling around in front of your head. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I do have a quick comment here from Tanya again. Uh, I used to cry during training. 
which was tough in a male-dominated Muay Thai gym. Curious to hear your opinions on crying slash emotions in martial arts. Hashtag there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. I love that line. Uh, <laughs> I cried a lot. I've cried a lot. And it was very male dominated. It, 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 it wasn't well received. I can tell you that. Um, I was called over emotional. I was called not tough enough. Like there was so much lack of acceptance anyway. But I mean, for me, I have big feelings and big energy all the time. And the more I repress it, the worse it gets. And um, yeah, like I, but I'd also have like giant dudes beat the living snot out of me. Like, why would you not cry in pain? Um, and there was times I got kicked in the feelings too, right? Which the work, I would rather get kicked in the face than kicked in the feelings. And I would cry out of like frustration or fear, or things like that, especially in BJJ. Like I would have full-blown panic attacks in the middle of a roll. And I would try to keep it under control and you just can't, your body takes over and, and I would cry. And sometimes, um, you know, the people I was with were compassionate, but not very often. And so for me, um, I think it's cool to have feelings. You want to have feelings, have feelings, especially little kids. I'm like, it's okay to cry and then just work your way through the role or work your way through the sparring session or work your way through, you know, the match. So there was a, and there was a lot of times I cried just as an adrenaline dump when I was done, you know, a big sparring session or competing or whatever else. And I mean, I, I tried to do it privately as much as I could, but I mean, right now I don't want to repress any more emotions. I realized how toxic and bad that was for me and how it um, sets an example where other people are not allowed to have emotions and they're not allowed to have feelings and the way they deal with it is wrong. So I kind of want to be a better example on that front, but there was not a lot of acceptance for, for crying. And I really tried my best to not have feelings for an extremely long time. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough position to be, to be put in. I, I mean, I remember being young when I, when I was training when I was young and crying on the mats, but uh, I mean, I, I do this with my boys at least is that when they're training and they get, they both do BJJ with me. And when they get to a point where they, are confused or are struggling and then they start to lock up and then they're like, uh, and then the emotions start to take over and I just breathe, breathe, man, just breathe through. And the, the tears will come and they'll keep breathing and then the tears will go and then they'll keep breathing. And then we just get back on the mats and it's that, uh, allowing things to happen, but not stopping. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And also asking the question, like, are you hurt or are you scared? Are you hurt or are you frustrated? Um, and you're right, breathing or talking about it helps to like regulate their emotions again. And those are questions that they can ask themselves whenever they feel like in that moment emotionally again, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Sean, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just thinking about uh, working with Evan uh, over the last eight years and what I did with him in respect to this issue. And so I'm not a crier. Uh, if, if I get frustrated, I I keep on keeping on. Uh, and I'm not saying that my way is the only way, of course. I mean, there's many ways and my way probably is the worst way, but I just ain't a crier. And so uh, when I was working with Evan, I would push him on the mats to the point where he would be frustrated enough that he might want to cry. And then I'd ride that edge because it's my job to make him uh, work through adversity uh, rather than be able to flip a switch called I'm crying because I, I need a moment. And I never wanted to create the, and I, I'm not saying that anyone out there does this, but if if you need a moment, um, crying ain't the moment. Crying is an outcome. 
Uh, if you need a moment, you should interrupt the role or interrupt the fight or interrupt the training session and say, I need a moment, not trigger crying as the moment to take the moment. And I'm not saying anyone in this panel did, did that or does that. What I'm suggesting is with Evan, I'd take him to the edge and let him ride on that edge in the uncomfortable adversity of the moment to improve his ability to deal with that frustration of being locked down on the mat or that claustrophobic moment or that feeling of you've got no control. Because those that's called life. You know, like the moment that someone locks you down, you've got no control. Well, you can cry, but that ain't going to change the outcome in the moment if you're getting your ass whooped. What it will do is stop your partner from continuing to kick your ass, and then you don't get to maybe process through that moment. So I'm saying that if you need to cry, um, cry on. But if you need a moment where you're getting so frustrated that you feel the crying coming on, don't use the crying as the moment to create the moment. Just say, hey, I need a moment. And then figure that part out. Otherwise, I'm not, I'm not saying this is ever going to happen. <laughs> but what it can do is reinforce a, a cyclical routine or a mindset or a... This is how I always respond to when things get frustrating is I cry. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's uh, for some people, it might be an issue. But it's also a really coachable moment, right? Like it is, it is. That, that's, that's truly the point. Yeah. Like, like for me, like we do want resilient um, students. We do want resiliency in ourselves. We do want to overcome that stuff. So when I cried, I kept fighting like every darn time. Like there was so many times in clinches with like huge dudes that I would get through the clinch, I would fight out through it, but I'd be sobbing the whole time. Like I'd be pretty freaked out. And even with my kids, like if I see them crying in a match or in a role, I'm like, keep going, just breathe. Like you're almost there. Take those big breaths. It's okay to be frustrated. Okay, what are you gonna do? How do you wanna move? You know, angle differently. Like, okay, like you can move forward. Like they're great, great, great teachable moments, but martial arts is like so full of so many challenges that like it is an emotional thing. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, I mean, crying, crying for me is never an excuse to not do something or not finish something or not get through something. It's just everything that's coming up. It's everything that's coming up. It's, you know, the frustration. I don't see it that much, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, like in all of my years, I'm not going to say I can count it on two hands, but it doesn't happen that much that in, from what I've seen, and maybe I'm going to the wrong competitions. I don't know, well, but uh, I just don't see it that much. I mean, I also teach three to five-year-olds too. Ah, well, there you go. A lot of, a lot of emotions area. All right, here we go. Now that makes sense. <laughs> I, do, I do really like, Sean, what you said there is that really what you're trying to do is interdict the emotional lapse. That's well, right. lapse is not a great word for it. No, but no, that you're, you're right, though. That, but the, you know, I think it's important is that if that's happening, like if you're experiencing a, a rough time, you're getting frustrated and you immediately fall into tears, then that's, not, that's a question you need to ask yourself, right? Like, why am I doing that? Why am I falling into tears right away when I'm getting frustrated? And then you can backtrack it and start going from there. And this is, a, it's a kind of a BJJ thing. I mean, you hear this everywhere on the, on the mats, right? How do I get out of the rear naked choke? Don't get there. How do you do that? Well, then you have to be able to analyze how you ended up in that position to begin with and then start interdicting it in those spots in between. Yeah. And you know, if someone's slapping an RNC or a rear naked choke on someone and that person who just got the RNC put on them, that's their moment where they're going to have a cry. 
Well, if if that happens 12 times in a night, now you've got Pavlov's dog. For anyone out there, Pavlov's dog. The dogs heard a ding. The dogs would start salivating because that's how they'd been programmed. Pavlov's dog. Get ready to drool, RNCer. So instead of drooling, now it's crying. And so every mm-hmm. time that slips around that neck, it's it's not even a moment to, I'm upset. It's like, this is what I always do. Yeah. So the Pavlov's dog routine is something that any good martial artist will interdict and ride that wave and grow someone, not out of it, but grow someone with it. Yeah. It's actually, I, I had a uh, one of the guys that trains with me on the mats, he's... Uh, he actually just got his four straight on his white belt. He's very excited. Ooh, how right? exciting! Right, and uh, but I would do it. I would do this to him regularly. With I would, I would lock him down, and I would put my hooks in his legs, and I would be in full mount, and I'd have him like locked down, and he would just immediately start panicking, and I would be okay. What do you need to do? And I would just stop there, and I would let him think in that moment. What do I need to do? Because he would panic and start instinctually just trying to push stuff, and like. Bah, bah, bah. But I was giving him the opportunity to think through it, think through the problem. Is so amazing, right? Like yeah. that's why it's so amazing is you can get into those situations where you're over emotional and you can learn to work through that. And it is a metaphor for life, right? So I love those moments when you do see emotion and frustration and these types of like, you know, behaviors and you can teach people like, okay, you can breathe, you can think, you can concentrate, you can problem solve, you can be proactive. Like you have support here. Like those are amazing, amazing, amazing things that apply to life and school and relationships and everything. And I like that, that that's what people get to experience when they're doing different martial arts. Agreed. I agree too. Good thing the panel agrees with each other. <laughs> well, <laughs> once we, we've once, agreed once. once so let's not far. get crazy <laughs> chance Burroughs. We're not going to go double digits. Well, so, well, let, let's, uh, let's talk about this then. Cause strategies to get people into martial arts is, you know, depends on which school you go to, who you talk to, what that training style is, what the particular martial art is, et cetera, et cetera. But we all, we're all in agreement that, you know, martial arts is a good thing for basically everybody. Mm-hmm. How do we get more people into martial arts? What do you think, Megan? For me, well, I have different like approaches, especially, um, like I've taken different approaches to marketing and showcasing martial arts to different kinds of people in different ways for a long time. Um, I think the unorthodox approach is pretty cool. I think that we can't always show it to be like that gritty Rocky style gym all the time. Um, which is why, like, if you provide, um, options, I guess. So for me, it's like, I teach three to five-year-olds, like, and I have a ton of them and it's a great place to start for, um, martial artists and like, and families to be introduced to martial arts and that physical literacy and coordination, agility and fine and gross motor skills and social behaviors and things like that. But then it's also not having an intimidating environment. It's also volunteering in your community. It's also doing work in different schools for different reasons. It's bringing an element of play into an introduction to martial arts, seeing if people like it and where they want to go and develop from there. So it's, there is a broad range of ways that you can bring martial arts into the, into the community. Like I'm putting on two big events in Calgary and there's a ton of spectators that are coming. I've gone into the media and I've spoken the media about it. Um, I just think that you have to think outside the box. I mean, if you watch Cobra Kai, it used to be, oh, you have to deliver flyers in your, in your neighborhood and you have your little local <laughs> school and everybody will come, you'll get students. That is not the case right now at all. You have to 
you have to take such interesting approaches to get people to notice. And I mean, social media is a great one too. And sometimes not taking yourself too seriously um, when you're showcasing fun things um, can be very inviting as well. But I think having a non-intimidating environment and having some multidiscipline and, and having some different approaches in different age groups can be really great. I could not agree more. What do you think, Sean? I, no? I think I will never teach three to five-year-olds. That's all I heard. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. The entire time. <laughs> I, I heard something, something, three to five-year-olds, and then the rest of the conversation I didn't hear. Shut down. <laughs> you're like, never. <laughs> and no. That'll never happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've coached those kind of kids all the way to world championships eventually. Yeah, of course. And yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I know it's fulfilling. I'm only teasing but I'll never do it. But I do know that it's fulfilling. <laughs> it's fulfilling and challenging all at the same time. And yeah, like, right. you have to just look at them like tiny little drunk humans sometimes and just yeah, go, sure. they're just kids. Like, let's make sure they don't get hurt. And if they learn a couple moves today, well, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> if they can block yeah. a pool noodle. Yeah. Good. Agreed. Yeah. My, my son, um, uh, Evan was teaching for a while, uh, the kids class on the BJJ mats. And uh, I'd go there with him. Uh, to make sure that everything was good to go. And he'd, he'd run the program. And it, it was fun to watch little kids be taught by my little kid. And uh, it's fulfilling for me to observe as his dad, uh, hopefully trying to shape him to some degree to be a good leader. And uh, it, it's, it's fulfilling on many levels. And, you know, looking at the parents who are watching their three to five-year-olds be taught by my son and me me connecting eyeballs with their eyeballs and both nodding at each other. It's, it's the cycle of life, man. It's, uh, that's the way things are supposed to work, you know? Yeah. Well, and when you teach, you learn so much more about yourself, right? You pay mm. so much more attention to detail. You pay so much more attention to how your own body moves. Um, like I learned so much more about like myself and me as a martial artist when I taught, especially in those challenging classes, like, you have Agreed. to be self-aware and pretty calm and patient and pretty regulated and, you know, pretty open-minded to teach these little tiny dudes because you have to take all these different approaches to get to the same goal and mm -hmm. it makes you a better teacher. Oh, for sure. But while I'm, while I'm learning to teach those little three to five-year-olds, here's what goes through my mind. Simultaneously, two thoughts in parallel. One is, I don't need to learn how to do this better. I've been doing it a long time. The second thing is that squealing noise is melting my brain. <laughs> I have a similar problem with my, I, I got uh, inner ear nerve damage. So that squealing noise, like it's like taking a screwdriver to the ear. Yeah, that, that frequency sounds yeah. remarkably like an AK 47 passing. A by it my does, ear. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that frequency doesn't work for my brain. So carry on little kids. When you're a good teacher and you get used to how the children like process and learn and things like that, like there's different ways. So my, my little guys, they come in, they bow, they sit down, they're quiet. Oh yeah, for sure. They, I, I get it so, for a while at least. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool, but they, do they, do they squeal once? I guess they don't squeal at all. <laughs> Maybe Just they like don't that. squeal at all, but you know what, buddy, you know, and I know that if they squeal once, once is enough. Yeah, once is enough for me too. That, I'm done uh, with three to five year olds. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. There we go. Uh, sorry about that. Okay, we're back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I love the fact that martial arts teaches the kids like you know so much more self awareness and self discipline. You can't just scream inside in places. You can't 
run around and flail yourself randomly into things or targets or stuff like that. Like teach them how to be humans in the world. That's yeah. fantastic. I do love that. That is an important aspect. And I'm glad that uh, yourself and amazing people like you can handle the squealing of three to five-year-olds because I cannot. Yeah. Yeah, we have... Uh, and, um, and, and listen, it's not for lack of trying. And it's not for lack of conviction. I mean, it's it, I didn't just wander in and think, I'm out of here. Like, I've made an effort. But there's only so much that I've got in the tank. And I use all of that gas to do other things rather than deal with the frequency that's melting my brain. That's a, that's a tough one. We got a mini monkeys class uh, at my gym where all the little guys go and do their BJJ Kinley's one of them. Um, and it's, it's intense. Like I can't as, as well managed as they are, like the instructors are awesome. Um, but they're kids, right. And they're running around, they're having fun and they're going to yell and they're going to scream. And there's going to be times where, that pitch comes up and then they usually get told pretty quickly, Hey, not okay. We can't scream like that here in class, blah, blah, blah. But it, it almost always happens. And I, <laughs> so I actually well, have just once, once is enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once was enough for me. So now when I, I go and I, I watch my noise canceling headphones are on <laughs> and I can just watch from the sidelines and be off to the side and be like, this is good. Uh, but and it, I'll be care I, I want to be careful and state that I could put up with it. It's no problem to put up with it if it's mission priority. That's mission has priority. Yeah. And if it's the mission to put up with that nonsense, freaking rights, I'll put up with it. But I'd rather put up with being on the mats and being locked down and mega frustrated that way than being frustrated by the brain melting squeals that uh, I'm just not willing to put up with. <laughs> And for me, like my career was to bring more martial arts to more people in the world and yeah. more diversity to, to more people and more kids and, and allow people that normally wouldn't have access to martial arts or be allowed to, to have that. And so it was like, this is my mission. So, I mean, for you, I dig it. Sense, right? I, I, I totally dig it. Th thank you okay. for yes. taking thank the you. brain melting frequencies that I'm just not ready to pick up right now. Like being a school teacher, right? I respect yeah. school teachers so much. Homeschool oh, yes. was yep. not fun. Another and job I couldn't respect. do. Yeah. yeah. I think there's the one really neat thing about teaching kids, especially, is that you get to take the stuff that you would normally do or train very seriously and make it fun. Yeah. Right. It, it, forces you to think outside of the fact of this is a roundhouse kick. You know, we're just going to do 10 roundhouse kicks. Just kick the pad, kick the pad, kick the pad. But how do you make that fun? How do you make that enjoyable to someone that doesn't have the self-discipline to walk into some place and like, I'm here to learn how to do this kick kind of deal. And I think that's a, it's a great process for the instructors, for not only the students, yeah, but for the instructors as well. That's a, and it helped me teach adults better too, because I was able to break things down differently or come up with a different approach or like understand how my body felt or how the little dude's bodies felt so that I was able to kind of tell the adults, especially ones that were having difficulty learning or just were very uncoordinated or, you know, needed to learn in a different way. Um, I had those resources from trial and error of the little dudes all the time. So it's uh, pretty effective. And sometimes adults, like they do take themselves too seriously and that does impact their learning and their technique. And so if they can just take a breath and see things from a different point of view and have a playful mindset when they're doing something difficult and hard for that split second until they can learn it. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah, it is. 
having a playful mindset really gets you out of that uh, that white Slash belt level, that level nine thousand death match like mentality. Slash like, well, BJJ in general, <laughs> all the time. There, everything and anything I say should be. Da 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 slash BJJ. BJJ. <laughs> but I find that uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu martial artists are very different than uh, most other martial artists. But then how again, so? discipline has a very, very different mindset as well. Very Sorry, different. how so? How, but yeah, how... Karate um, has a particular mindset. Taekwondo is a particular mindset. Muay Thai, boxing, they have particular mindsets. BJJ is definitely like it has a, it has a very particular mindset like it it, it does, what does like particular mean energy. there's a very different energy to it are you calling um, us particular i think you're calling us particular I, i'm i'm still not sure what we're talking about so let's get to it um, yeah. let me think i mean when you so let's say olympic taekwondo there is a different degree of seriousness there's a different degree of um how they see martial arts what they think is right and wrong uh bjj is interesting because you have all the spazzy white belts that are like super excited to do stuff, but yet are like super high anxiety and super high intensity. And then you have like the blue belts that really don't like warm up. I mean, the purple belts are worse, but they have a very different approach. They're super calm. They're very methodical. Um, they are very serious and very, very serious about their training. Um, it's different when it comes to putting everyone together. Um, and it could be just like the gyms that I've trained at as well. Um, that had different and particular mindsets. Um, I didn't find, um, I do find the BJJ mindset to be much more intense. Um, but then I found it to be also calm. Whereas Muay Thai, I find that the energy is constantly, constantly aggressive, sometimes sloppy, sometimes um, not as methodical. And then you have traditional karate that believes that like this is the right way and the only way and there's certain ways to be serious and there isn't a lot of open-mindedness and so i think it's just the different gyms and the different styles that i've done across like 37 years of doing martial arts and trying to figure all that out and then watching different tournaments like you go to a bjj tournament it is so calm it is so quiet like it is methodical but it is intense it's crazy, crazy, crazy intense. But then you're like at a Muay Thai tournament, there's guys spinning on the floor and like hitting pads as hard as they can and trying to have like very intimidating energy in the space. And so I think they're just, I, I feel it more than I can probably describe it. And none of it's right or wrong. It's just, there's very, very different energy depending on what disciplines um, I've partaken in as time has gone on. Hmm. I like that. I've always found, what do you got? I just think that the, uh, with, in respect to BJJ, um, it is an intense thing as a white belt because literally you don't know how to fight. Uh, and so the reason that it's so intense and so discombobulated and spazzy is because you don't know how to fight. Uh, and when you're fighting against a blue belt, the only reason that they're not spazzy is because a year ago they didn't know how to fight but now they know how to fight better than you know how to fight. And that's just the way it is. Purple belts, same, same. And so the more you actually fight the pressure testing of BJJ, there's, there's very few martial arts like it where every second of that role, it's legit. There's no fakery. And through that legit legitimacy, you're pressure tested. And if you've only been in the game a year, you're a spaz you're scared you're freaked out you're all locked up 
but uh, the more you're in the game, the less spazzy you are because now you know how to kind of fight. And so, yeah, I think BJJ is, is a different mindset because anyone who steps into the mats who thinks that they know how to fight just doesn't know how to fight. Uh, and, and that's a rude awakening. I mean, like I said, when I started this off, I thought I could kick ass and I had kicked a lot of ass, but the moment I got on the ground, I got my ass kicked and it's uncomfortable, man. That's super and, 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 and I, the phobias that I have aren't related to BJJ, but I'll tell you what, I don't like being claustrophobic where I've got like no room to breathe mm. as, as that massive sweaty guy is uh locking me all up and not letting me breathe because he's got his armpit smothering my mouth and my nose it sucks but guess what fighting sucks real life sucks like it the life that i've lived ain't a point fighting life and mm -hmm. and i got onto the bjj mats and had all of those same anxieties that any new white belt has so it's not like anyone's got a a, a, a magic trick up their sleeve that can stop that process everyone goes through that process but if someone continues on in the process gets their blue or more correctly i think gets their purple belt well now you're actually able to scrap yeah. uh in a pressure tested manner well, yeah my my phobia right now is watching somebody else's sweat drip off of them and land in my mouth yeah, that's my sucks. phobia right now <laughs> That has, happened to me. that has happened to me. It's the grossest thing in the world. It is so nasty. Actually, the, the, the grossest thing in the world that I can think of in respect to sweat is, uh, I won't get into too many details, but I was going up an elevator shaft in the pitch black uh, with no protection on, like no pro, like I wasn't roped in or whatever. I was just going up an I-beam. And uh, as I went up the uh, pitch black uh, shaft, I was looking up the shaft because the guy who was above me, who was also doing the same thing, uh, he'd stopped. And I looked up because I heard him stop. We were being super stealth. But as I looked up, bam, sweat straight in the Mark One eyeball. And I was oh. like, what? I'm in the pitch black. I'm hanging onto an eye beam. I'm trying to blink out salty sweat. I was like, this sucks, man. What am I even doing? <laughs> oh, the sweat stories. Oh, the sweat. <laughs> there, it's just, it's so painful. Uh, we got one more question here and before we shut her down, but... Uh... Let's get into this real quick. So Tanya asks, modern gyms are always balancing with getting income and keeping the art pure. What approach do you take to balancing this while cultivating your modern warrior class, aka the Cobra Kai conundrum? I was actually going to mention this a little bit earlier. Thank you, Tanya, for bringing it up. Was, um, you know, it also kind of depends on what you want. Because if you go into like a, a traditional Shotokan karate, it is very Japanese, very serious, very pure, right? But if you go to like a 10th planet, bjj that is probably the most not impure but like just random kind of place to be in so what are your what are your thoughts on it Planet planet has their own like curriculum don't they like their own they kind of bjj curriculum yeah i don't know too too much about uh 10th planet um what did you know is just what i've done so i can speak for for myself you have to keep the integrity of the martial art still there you do so if the integrity of the martial art is there and you are keeping with that and you know that you are and that the education you're teaching is pure, you don't have to teach it in a backwards old school or militant fashion unless that's what you do. But you can still teach, say, for example, really good pure Shotokan karate, but your approach can be more modern, um, a little bit different. You can add different elements into 
um, the different programs that you do, but it's also too, it's creating programs to suit the individual. Are you coming here for just pure self-defense? Great. These are your classes. If you're coming in for a fitness class, okay, well, that's awesome. We're going to put you into that fitness class. And like, I think if you diversify your studio and you have integrity and your instructors are great instructors and are high quality instructors, you can still make um, your business successful and still continue to, to teach proper martial arts. Like, I don't think you need to compromise, but it isn't always the case. Right. And having good educated and high quality martial arts is a very, very, very tough thing for a lot of people to have. And it is the harder approach for sure. It's much easier to water it down and, you know, have black belts in 18 months, which there's several studios that do that. Um, they give black belts in 18 months. Um, but for me, um, that's my reputation. So if I have a student that's not a good quality martial artist, that's on me. And I don't want that reputation either. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Sean, any thoughts? That's the moment that I hear someone getting a black belt in 18 months, it immediately takes me to the one good jabillion conversations that I've had where I've been told that, well, my eight-year-old is a black belt in dot, dot, dot. Maybe you should train with them. I'm like, what is even happening right now? And so the um, there is the slippery slope of the Cobra Kai conundrum. The as as we used to call it back in the eighties, the uh, shopping mall martial arts club, mm -hmm. and uh, it is a problem, and it has distorted martial arts in the past and continues to do so, and will continue to do so in the future. So uh, I like your point. You know, the idea being you do have to keep it pure, as Tanya said, and and pure is defined by the instructor who owns the club, and uh, if you line up ten instructors. Some of them will even misspell pure. So, you know, there's going to be a few different opinions in in respect to what pure means. But I do like the idea that someone is kind of trying to keep it close to the authentic, uh, how it began, or the uh, true definition uh, as loosely uh, agreed upon by all other martial artists in respect to Shotokan Karate or whatever. And Shotokan Karate is the first martial art that I took uh, by the way. So the idea being that as long as you stay pure to the spirit of the, the, the core of the martial art, you can wrap all kinds of things around that to make it fun and engaging and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. yeah I think different ways to do a horse riding stance. I can tell there you. Is, there is, yeah. there is, there surely is, but I, all uh, of them should hurt. I think the key is we talked about this a little while ago, Sean was um, standards right? Keep That's your right. standards high. doesn't matter how you get to the standards, right? But if the standards are there, then the standards are there. If the standard is the standard. Exactly. And I think that's, uh, that's the key. Um, we're just about out of time here. So any final thoughts? So we went on a pretty good jaunt on martial arts here, but any final thoughts on anything we've talked about so far, Megan, anything on the top of your It's just, um, I mean, you guys uh, seem to have like good and interesting backgrounds um, in martial arts. I mean, I can really tell you guys are passionate about BJJ. Um, what? I am. I am. Like out of all of the martial arts I've done, I think BJJ is friggin' phenomenal, but it's not one that like lights me up the same way. Um, karate does light me up. Muay Thai does light me up. Kickboxing does light me up. Um, BJJ for me is 
and will always be challenging. And I like that I have opportunities to continue to try and learn and grow with that and overcome all of those things. But like, literally, when I think about Muay Thai, like I get a fire in my belly. And honestly, when I think about karate too, like karate is my home. So karate is the one thing that, you know, when I was eight years old and um, I was going through, you know, yucky parts of my life, I've always been able to go back to karate and feel a sense of stability and grounding and, and home. It's almost like, um, you know, like how some people will go to church every Sunday and it gives them that sense of belonging and grounding and, and calmness and rooting. It's, it's, it's that for me. It's that. Mm. For me. I love that. Sean, any final thoughts? Yeah, I dig that. There's no, I can't really add too much to that. Uh, I just think Megan nailed it in respect to not, I'm sure Megan nailed Megan, but Megan nailed it for everyone else out there in the sense of find what pumps you up, man. Yeah. Get stoked. Uh, BJJ's challenging and it ain't for everyone. I don't care what anyone says. Everyone says it's for everyone. It ain't for everyone. It's, it's for certain people. It's for everyone to try it to determine whether it's for them or not. And then, by the way, it's for everyone to try it again several years later to see yeah. if it's for them at that point. But it ain't for everyone all the time. And so back to Megan's point, find what stokes you. Go give that a try. Go give this a try. Go give the other thing a try. And if something feels right to you, engage in it. Stick around for a while until you figure yourself out a bit more. And then maybe look around for the next thing, the next martial art, the next fascination called BJJ and, uh, and, and, and then get on with the program. But I also think that you all, you have to find a gym and an instructor that aligns with you too. Like, 100%. That's important. Key, yeah. and like Big part of the stoke. Yeah. And at the same time too, like you might be interested in karate, but go to a studio where you do not align with the energy of the instructor or that studio. That doesn't mean that karate is wrong. Maybe that means that you need to shop around a little bit and try a few or, you know, talk to people that you trust that are in alignment with you that are going to other gyms and get those referrals. Like I, I definitely encourage people. It's like finding a good doctor, like not all martial arts, the same, not all instructors are the same, not all gym energy is the same. Like you need to find the right fit for you. And then that will take you on your journey. That's right. Shop the shop, the club, not the art. Yes. Uh, we kind of say that here on a fairly regular basis, I think, but buy, buy the vibe. Don't yeah. buy the punch. The vibe is going to take you a lot farther than anywhere else, right? Like you're going to be at that studio regularly over time for years, sometimes decades, sometimes it's got to be the right vibe and then keep it that way. Don't try to change it. Don't try to come in and be like, oh, I'm going to make this my own. No, just find, try it out. If it's, if it's cool keep going if not find somewhere else i uh it's it's a very tricky situation but martial arts as a whole is a good thing go take some martial arts you're going to learn how to be better you're going to grow into a better person and you're going to build yourself up and your own confidence into something that is greater than you are right now so give her and you can keep doing that with us here on the collective we'll see you all tomorrow chimo chimo